you're asking who we're picking. I'm like, Randy, you should be telling us who you're picking. You're you're in first place, bro. He's he's I got six full time employees working on his. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, have you asked Emma what she's been doing at work? <laughs> right. <laughs> she's a wizard, Mike. She's a wizard at cycling racing. I, I have a double not to not to share with you. Oh man. Back to the Velo Chumps podcast. We are back with another fantastic episode. We've got the whole crew in the house. It's been a little while since we've all been together. Randy Nicewanger, how's it going? I'm doing well, Eric. Good to be here tonight with all you guys. Awesome. Ryan Brainer, how you doing? Yeah, same. I feel like it's been a long time, so happy to be here. Yep. Mike Green? Super stoked. Scale of 1 to 10, about a 10. Couldn't be That's any more awesome. excited. I'm sure you are. Chad Locker? It's like deja vu. I feel like I need to be much know, better crazy, than right? grade. So I'm going to be an 11 today. I'm an 11. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. So so it has been a little while since we all got together. And part of that is because there's this big race going on in France. The Tour de France always is the biggest time of the uh, cycling world. And we've been busy watching the race. A lot of There's a lot of cycling content out there. For, so for those of you listeners that listen to other podcasts other than just the Velo Chumps, you're probably being inundated with content. But we have been busy because we are doing a fantasy Tour de France League amongst us as well as some of our friends. And for those of you that listen to this show for a while, you'll know that Myself, Chad, we're probably the biggest race fans. And then Ryan, he's pretty much got into racing for the past, over the past year or two. And Mike and Randy really didn't care that much about racing at all. But that being said, in our fantasy league, wouldn't you know, in the top spot currently is... The man himself, Randy Nicewanger. Randy, how do you want to explain how you went from being a completely non-cycling fan to leading the VeloChumps Fantasy League? I haven't slept in 16 days. Fantastic. Just straight research. Complete download. Uh, Google's your friend. Coffee. You know, uh, Red Bull as as, as well would... uh, you know, endorse. That's it. So, so for the listeners out there, that's not what happened at all. He actually picked Mike Woods on accident on a stage and managed to win 15 points because he's probably one out of like one out of like, it was Randy. It was Mike Woods's mom and yep. and 11 people from Canada who were in the league. That was the pick. <laughs> Those were the people who picked Mike Woods. Yeah. But it is, it is interesting that, uh, Imagine- Enthusiasm when he crossed the finish line. Yeah, first. I bet. I bet you were excited. Your family is like, "What the hell is going wrong with this guy?" Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so Chad, Chad is actually in second place, tied for second place with Casey. She was on a guest on our show earlier on the Unenthusiast Watch Unchained. So that's another person that was not into racing at all before the uh, before this Tour de France started. So you know, first and second place tied with Chad anyway, or non-enthusiasts and then you got ryan bringing up the rear in the lantern rouge by quite a bit and uh then me right behind him so uh we're not doing that well mike was also way down at the bottom until he stopped picking and the computer auto assigned him picks that gained him a bunch of points so that wasn't even his own doing that that got him out of the basement but that just goes to show you that cycling is very very unpredictable i was just saying to say i think those picks that are automatically assigned when you forget to pick it must look at um like the picks that are made around the world in that application because today it chose adam yates for me or yesterday it was yeah i think you get whatever was the number one pick that you haven't already spent as a poker chip let's say because you can't pick somebody twice once you use them they're done for the points i think that's how they're assigning you so i think had you not already had tajay or you know or um Jonas, you'd have been assigned one of those two because probably the bulk, um, the bulk pick that every day. Yep. 
that well, whatever it worked out for you the non-picking worked out for you mike and you yeah. you got up out of the basement ahead of me almost you caught up to to casey and chad so that's exciting i'm not gonna finish on the bottom i'm just gonna tell you that yeah i, I got I, some hot i don't i got it. some hot takes i got some hot takes coming up <laughs> assuming those riders don't get taken out by the guy with the water bottle motorcade bike oh, yeah mm. yeah you man went there you went there yeah, there, there have been a few unfortunate crashes in this race. Although this is a very very safe Tour de France so far. We're not going to get into the history of the Tour de France and crashes, but a few years ago there was quite a few major, major crashes. There's a lot of crashes there and normally, but this year has been relatively safe. So that's good. That's good for the riders. You know, unfortunately, Cavendish went out. He was going for the big stage record. To, he, he already tied it, but he's tr was trying to hold it alone, but he crashed. But... In all honesty, it hasn't been a lot of crashes. It's been a very exciting Tour de France. If you're not watching the Tour de France, I would recommend going to watch it. Try to catch some replays of the first few stages and then catch up with the end because it's a very tight race right now. No one knows what's going to happen. So I just need to put a quick edit in here for listeners out there that are watching the Tour de France. At the time we recorded this, right before the time trial, it was a very tight race and nobody knew what was going to happen. But obviously, now... We do know what's going to happen, and we realize it is no longer a tight race. But just so you know, at the time, that was still the case. So, back to the normal podcast. It's a very exciting... It's going to be a very exciting last week, so I would definitely recommend getting out there and watching that. But yeah, if nothing else, you could watch, like, the GCN four-minute highlight videos yeah. and then just watch, like, this last week. Yeah. Then you won't have to wait all the way till next year when they release unchained season two next june you know you can already find out what happened now so but we're not here to talk about the tour de france because a lot everybody is talking about the tour de france and we probably don't need to contribute our non-expertise about the tour de france because you can get plenty of expert analysis and opinions elsewhere so anyway so um a lot of times what happens around big races, especially the Tour de France, is you'll have bike companies releasing new bikes. And we know, if you've been a longtime listener, you know that Ryan has been waffling about buying a bike or which brand or which model or what whatever he wants to buy since the inception of this podcast, since the very first episode. And we're now on like the 18th episode and he's no closer to buying a bike. What? But one of the things he was interested in was waiting to see if Specialized was going to release their, their new bike for the Tour de France. And they did not. So Ryan bought a bike, then, right? Ryan got a bike. Yeah, he hasn't. Oh, no. Bummer. But during but the, people have. During the uh, lead up now, or during the Tour de France, there has been a leak of the new specialized bike and this has you know been a big you know for ryan anyway especially for people like ryan it's been a big thing to think okay when they release the new bike it's going to be the new and improved thing it's going to be exciting i might go out and finally pull the trigger on a bike so what do you think ryan you've seen the pictures of this bike are you going to buy it well <clears throat> no <laughs> and <laughs> Chad is not shocked by this development. I mean, wow. um, but also let's be like to be, I'm not the only person that has done this for the last few months. There's, I'm sure there's many, many people that were like on the fence. No, I'm going to wait till the tour and kind of see what drops and like waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, so I'm not alone here, but no, after, I mean, I'm not really going to pull the trigger on a bike anytime soon, but having seen the leaks of the SL8, I would absolutely go out of my way to get the sl7 not the sl8 so for the audience members who are not into bike nerdiness this is the specialized tarmac sl7 replacement the highly original sl8 for its name right so if people want to google that they can go look and well it, it's the tarmac sl8 tarmac sl8 okay so and if somebody puts the photos up you can explain to me the difference between these two bikes because at a glance you're going to be hard pressed to tell. I'm sorry. Well, the thing, the big thing, and you should go look this up. You can find these pictures, but the big thing is there's been UCI rules that were relaxed that effectively allow deeper head tube sections. So when, 
we're talking about aerodynamics of a bike. We've talked about this before on this show, that aerodynamics matter more than weight, at least on a relatively flat uh, course, even on a even on a hilly course, not not like a super climb, but aerodynamics are very important. And if you think about how aerodynamics work, even if you're not an aerodynamicist, the short version to understand is that a round tube or round profile going through the wind is the least aerodynamic because the air separates, becomes turbulent, doesn't reattach, and all these things, right? So we won't go into all the details. But if you think about it, the longer the head tube can be, if you think about what the head tube is, on the frame, you have the fork that's bladed sticking out. Usually the fork is not going to be round tubes on any kind of bike these days. It's going to have thinnish, you know, blades, we'll call it, on the fork. And then the first tube you're going to see that the, that's going to see the air is the head tube. So that's up the part above the fork and between the handlebars. And if that part of the bike is longer, elongated, it can be more aerodynamic. If you think about aerodynamic deep section wheels, instead of being just the little box rim, they're elongated. And the way that a lot of companies have done this is they have basically filled in the gap between the top tube and the down tube and just made a big triangle, you almost call it. You seen any of these bikes lately coming out? These new bikes, they, the tr that big triangle behind the head tube, that's how they elongate it. But what Specialized decided to do is keep that triangle behind the head tube the same and just bulge the head tube out the front in front of the fork to, to ascend. So that is the difference, Chad. So I think Mike was the one that referred to it as it looks pregnant. I didn't is that how you? <laughs> I, I said bulbous. I don't know if bulbous. Uh, okay. Yeah. It does kind of look aesthetic. like it's got a little baby bump coming out of the front of the head tube. Aesthetically, it is not as pleasing as the SL7. I don't think it's a bad look. <laughs> so what I was going to talk about is, from a chump's perspective, for our perspective, now that these bikes are getting so advanced, and we talked about this before, how they're converging on a very, very similar look, right? How important is it to us that the bike looks good versus getting that marginal, marginal improvement on either aerodynamics, weight, stiffness, or whatever? You know, Chad always talks about it, like, oh, yeah. It's going to save you 12 seconds over an hour at 40 kilometers an hour, right? I mean, that's the marketing. So is that worth making the bike look ugly? I think that's the question that that some a lot of these bikes coming out now, maybe not just the SL8, but a lot of the newer bikes coming out are not, let's just call it, they're not classically bicycle looking, right? Yeah, so... If it is for a chump's perspective, this is where you buy an Athos. I agree. With well, that. again, this is my question: Is it? Is it? Do you want a bike that's more stiff, that's more aerodynamic, or do you want a bike that looks good? You, you know what I'm saying? That's that's the question that I think. I mean, because I again, both, the Athos is not really slowing you down, but the SL8 will be stiffer. It will be more aerodynamic than the Athos. It will have a performance advantage somewhat of a performance advantage it's just is that performance advantage enough to make you buy it versus the classically shaped athos or whatever other classically shaped bike out there not not for me one thing that uh like so i could probably overlook and get past the bulbous head tube as mike calls it um but i think it appears that it has a smaller rear triangle mm-hmm and to me, just having that big head tube with a smaller rear triangle like does something with the proportions mm -hmm. for me that I just I don't like. I mean, I'm sure that I mean, Specialized does a lot of R&D. I'm sure that it makes some sort of performance sense. But you're right. I don't think it looks as it. I personally don't think it looks nearly as nice as the uh, as Randy's Venge. I don't think it looks as nice as the SL7 personally. But I suspect Specialized is going to say that it's going to save you 12 seconds over over an hour at 40, 40 kilometers an hour. What do you what think, Chad? What do you think they're going to say, say that we're going to save here? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it matters. I think there's a certain group of the population, fine, that will buy this bike because the pros are going to choose that bike. 
And if what you care about, again, is an aesthetically pleasing bike with non-integrated cockpit, you're probably going to buy the, the Athos, which they have and they sell and it's super light and it, you know, it's good for them. They've got multiple choices for people. But I, I think ultimately the people that buy the SL7 buy the SL7 because the pros ride the SL7. So people are going to buy the SL8 because the pros ride an SL8. I mean, there's a lot of ugly looking pro bikes out there that sell, right? I mean, um, I'm not one who loves Pinarellos, but there's a whole lot of Pinarellos out there for various <laughs> reasons, right? And they're right; they're under they're under Sky now Enios, right? So it, it's a cachet bike. So people are people are going to buy it because it performs, or at least people who win races perform on these bikes, so it'll sell. And that's that's you know race on Sunday, sell on Monday mentality here. So it'll do just fine in the market. I don't think, and and. And I think over time, we'll adapt to it, right? Because there was a point where disc brakes look weird on a bike, and I thought rim brakes are superior, and I still think rim brakes look better. But, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's buying a rim brake bike anymore. We all buy disc brakes. Mm-hmm. So that, that is what it is. If a if a protruding head tube for aerodynamics is what's going to sell at some point, we're all going to buy it. I mean, there was a point when Giant dropped the stays, right, in the back and had the yeah. on-horizontal top tube, and everyone said, that looks bizarre and weird, and find me a carbon fiber bike with a horizontal top tube they just don't exist anymore so i think yep we will move forward and we will learn to accept this new aesthetic yeah i think the people that are going to change their minds based on purchasing this bike is is little to no people we're like single digit percentage of potential buyers i think they're they they're gonna they're the people that want the latest and greatest they want the latest tarmac it doesn't matter if it's uh, the ugliest tarmac ever made it's if it's the latest and greatest that's what they're going out to purchase so basically what you guys are saying though then is that chumps like us or maybe not like us but chumps in general are susceptible to the marketing which is exactly what why these bike brands sponsor these pro teams and put their riders on these bikes so people like us We'll go out and buy the bike that the pro is on, even if it doesn't really do anything from a, a perspe- cycling perspective for us. Well, I would think it's similar to purchasing a car or mentality there, and that is, you know, over the long term, I, I guess I want I want to purchase the the latest version of the iPhone, if possible, or the latest. Uh, Cadillac CT4V Blackwing. I want to get the if if I'm buying today, I want to get a 2023. I would prefer not to buy a an older 2022 model, uh, just because now you know five years from now that model that I have is one year older. So five years from now, you buy an SL7, people are like, oh, when did that SL7 come out? Oh, it came out in 2020. So that's an older bike in my head, or older model, older trim. That's what the kind of thing that goes through my head. So even if it's 5% stiffer, uh, 4% improvements in aerodynamics, if I could afford it, why wouldn't I want the latest, greatest, strongest, and fastest, even if I'm hardly going to experience any of that additional speed or power? That's what goes through my head. Fair enough. Sounds like we found the bike for Ryan. So as soon as it comes out, please go ahead and uh, pull the trigger there and end the saga. And, and I would say this, Ryan, so, I would say this. If somebody put an SL7 Tarmac uh, expert level in front of me, so SL7 is $8,200, and they say, but the SLA, SL8 is $8,500, regardless of the aesthetics, if I could get the same colorway in both bikes, it would be silly for me or any buyer to not pay the extra $300 for the SL8 is what goes through my head. So I don't disagree with anything you said, but what I'm going to say is like, we're advocating for the chump here. And I think what the chump has to keep in mind is all these things we've talked about a million times before, but maybe if you're on a budget, you shouldn't be buying a fully integrated bike, um, where hoses have to be cut and totally re-ran in order to change out cables. And so, but to your point, Mike, I agree. Like if you look at consumer trends, you're absolutely right. But even the SL seven for that matter, and the SL eight, if you're somebody who is scrapping together funds to buy this bike and you're not really sure about the maintenance cost, the ethos is actually the right bike for you. But if somebody's scrapping together funds to buy these bikes, are they really looking at a, 
$4,900 bike, you know, as opposed to the $1,800. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're talking advocating for chumps in in the uh, sense that we're – we're trying to tell them that they should buy something versus, you know, like a a cheaper bike versus a tarmac. We're talking about chumps like us that have our speed, that have our fitness ability that are buying the S works level bike because it's the newest and, and, and shiniest and most, you know, advanced options. So for people that are going to buy that, I guess that's my point is what Mike's saying is that people are looking for the top end stuff. They're going to take the newer one, even if it's not really worth the being much better than the older one but just because it's the newer one or like chad said we whatever is new will be we will adapt to and that will become the uh the new accepted thing if they don't basically means that you should buy that sl8 if that bulbous front end isn't out in front it's going to be like uh on the back side of that triangle which um i think i saw another picture when i was just looking up that sl8 on the back side it has a pretty ugly look too when it fills in that big gap. So, I mean, you're either going to deal with it out in the front or the back. Well, and so if if there's a $300 difference, even if aesthetics aren't in my favor, I would buy the SL8. Now, if you if they discount, which I don't see happening personally, but if they all of a sudden have SL7s, you know, 1200 bucks cheaper, I'd buy the SL7. But you know who's not losing the beautiful bike wars of the Tour de France is this new Trek Madone colorway. Oh, that, yeah, that bike is fire, man. pretty. They that offer that awesome. on, the project, on the Project One, right? Well, it's yeah. custom for the Tour de France. Oh, yeah, man. the one that Mads Pedersen has been Except riding. if you want it, I think you can order it, right? I, oh, I'm well, sure. I mean, that's, yeah. that's yeah, brilliant on Trek's part, right? Every one of their riders has a custom-painted bike. Highlighting the fact that they are the only major bike, ban- bike, bike brand that will paint you a bike any color you want and whatever their color schemes are. So, I mean, that's once you're at that level, right? You're buying a $8,000, $10,000, $12,000 bike. Why wouldn't you want to be able to pick out your own personal color? I mean, it's kind of chumpy exactly. at that point. Not that I'm doing that, but it's fantastic <laughs> they offer it. No, they have some nice – they they got some nice-looking bikes in this tour for sure. Yeah. So – so speaking of marketing, also, you know, we, I just mentioned with the tour, everything's marketing. And uh, at a certain point in the tour, one of the brands out there basically put out a, uh, it was probably an Instagram video or something saying, hey, look at all of the winners that rode using our Wahoo bike computers. Because, you know, those Wahoo bike computers, that must have been what was getting them across the line first, right? And I think... I think, Chad, you've recently had a chance to experience a little bit of this. And can you tell us how that Wahoo bike computer is so technologically advanced that it helps them pedal their legs faster and get across the line first? What must be the out front mount, must be a little bit further ahead than the, Garmin, more arrow. Than the Garmin out front mount. So it's there. So, so in full disclosure, I bought a Wahoo because it was Amazon Prime Days and they were on sale cheap. <laughs> And I've had um, I've had Garmin's since the five was it the five ten I'm trying to remember what came anyway before the five twenty I've had all the five hundred series Garmin's and so the latest one I don't know it seemed a little little bit pricey for what it was so I didn't I didn't upgrade that one yet I still have a Garmin five thirty um, but I did buy a Wahoo Bolt V two just to see how the other major bike computer kind of works see if there's anything great to it. And to be honest, the main selling feature for me on this one, and I, because I haven't been able to find out if this is a feature for Garmin yet, is if you have one of the Wahoo ecosystem computers and then you buy their watch, right? The rival watch, it has the heart rate monitor in it. You can pair that watch with the head unit via the element app that they have on the phone. So I don't, I don't have to broadcast. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to wear a heart rate strap. I could just have my smartwatch on and then have my head unit on my computer for the vast majority of my rides that are not a race. And so I thought this will be fantastic. So I went ahead and bought a rival watch because it was on sale on the um, uh, prime days. And I bought the bolt V2, which was a nice little discount there and still was not the cash outlay. I would have had in buying a new Garmin 540 or 840 that had just come out. And so I've been playing with them for a while and they're fine. I mean, they're, they're nice computer. <laughs> um, 
Well, they should be. All these guys are winning the Tour de France stages with them. They are. They are. I mean, the thing is, they're extremely cycling specific. So while Garmin does have a computer and they do have watches, if you if you've had a Garmin watch or you've had a Garmin head unit, you pair that to your phone when you're out on a ride. You can get all your weather notifications. You can get your text messages from you know your friends, your buddies. If you've got third party texting apps, that'll come up usually on the Garmin devices and whatnot. You are not going to be treated to that in the world of Wahoo. <laughs> the, the Wahoo unit is really, yeah. The Wahoo unit is I am on your bike, so the Wahoo can only receive phone calls and absolute text messages. If you actually have the Facebook Messenger like we chat on all day, you're SOL. Not going to happen. Doesn't work. Um, if you have the rival watch, which is actually I love the display on the watch. I love kind of everything about it. The heart rate monitor, all that's great. That's it. That's all it does. There is no weather. There are no other notifications. You can see when you get a phone a call. And that's about it. So, but but Chad, when you finish a ride, if you're using the Wahoo, and maybe Ryan can answer this, you don't get a little message that says that your training was unproductive? I, I do not, which I'm trying to decide if I like that or I don't like that. So, <laughs> so Garmin, so I mean, Wahoo, what they have built is a very specific ecosystem, right? If you own the rival watch, it's tailored to triathletes. That's its main goal. If you own the Wahoo V bolt, the what the V2 bolts, what I bought, I assume there are other the Rome head units which have a bigger display for mapping, are probably very specific, right? They they do a good job with maps. Actually, the the maps are I don't know I've questioned it a little bit because you have in order to update the base map on the device you have to be on Wi-Fi, and at least where I'm at right now it only loaded the maps for Ohio. It has not loaded the maps yet what? Illinois because I had to tell it that. While the Garmin at least no you know loads all the united states um i assume before i come visit you guys if i'm using a bolt v2 i need to put the state of illinois on it assuming we're going to stay in the state of illinois if we're going to go do um the driftless and go across the mississippi river to iowa i guess i need to load iowa as well unless i'm going to follow the breadcrumbs all the way home i mean i don't know yet if that's a deal killer for it i don't know quite what the memory is on the bolt i think it's 16 gigabytes or something like that but we'll have to we'll have to see i mean thus far i've not had an issue with it um it does, it boots up a lot. Like when you turn the device on, it the the analogy for me is kind of like turning on an MS-DOS computer in the days. You hit the button, you kind of wait for it to warm up. Once once it does its warm-up thing, it, it seems to be fine. It runs. The Garmin kind of turns on instantaneously. That being said, when you end a ride on a Garmin, at least for me anyway, I stop my ride, I save my ride, I go through getting insulted because I have not heat acclimated, I go through and I get yep. insulted because apparently I don't have my my metrics yet for how well I trained or recovered or I rode with Eric. And so I need 73 days worth of recovery time when I'm done <laughs> and all that will upload on a Garmin. But then it sometimes delays um, uploading from Garmin connect to my Strava account for me. The Wahoo thus far has been pretty instantaneous. As soon as my ride's over, I stop it, I save it, it uploads fine. By and large, I don't think there's a whole lot um, between the two of what you are after is a head unit on your bike that will show you the watts from your power meter, your heart rate monitor, the speed of what you're going, your elapsed times, yada, your lap times, whatever you want. I think all those are going to be compatible, whether it's a Garmin or a Wahoo. I don't think that should be the deal kicker for you, whether or not you're going to go with one ecosystem or the other. I think if you've been using one ecosystem, I, unlike me, I don't think you need to try out both to, to switch <laughs> at this point because you wanted to buy two devices. But um, I'm still trying to decide whether or not I dislike the wahoo i mean i i actually find their display it's limited to 64 colors but kind of out in the sun i enjoy it i do like the display on their watch better than the backlit um lcds on the garmin watches that i have thus far but that being said i don't have like the newest what is it epics 2 with whatever the oled um backlight is on it yet but i'm a, i'm a little disappointed in wahoo's watch by not having a lot of the other smartwatch features that are not sport related that Garmin Garmin has done a real good job of. You can load widgets and you know things to open your garage door opener and all kinds of stuff on a Garmin watch that Wahoo's kind of la lagging in that regard. So if, if what you want is a watch just for your run, your swim, and your bike, I think you'll be fine with the with the Wahoo watches, and I think they're pretty well discounted in the market right now. That's that's okay. That being said, Wahoo doesn't seem to come out with a new device every 10 minutes, so they tend to be a bit more proactive, I would say, in updating firmware to give you new features on their older devices. So that could be a bonus for someone if they buy a Wahoo device and wait six months and maybe they'll get a bunch of new features that Garmin sometimes will do, but I'm 
I'd say in general, Garmin wants to sell you another device that'll have the next bit of, uh, bit of upgrades on it, let's say. So, I mean, I do have the, what is it, the newest climb feature on the uh, Wahoo, which I think is the same thing the Karoo has, the new head unit. And I think Garmin added it to the new 540, yeah, the new, 540 right? Yes, but you have to buy the 540. I think you have to buy the 540. Or the 840. Well, it's at least, it's you on the get it on the Right. Yeah, so I get, I get to hit all the same hills I hit every day of my life. It now tells me, though, that it's a certified climb, so I don't know if that makes me feel better or not. Um, I get to watch my elevation on it, which, to be honest, I ride the hill every day. I don't know that I need someone to tell me. But if I go and travel more, maybe that would be a great feature. But, again, I was thinking about that the other day, and it's like, well, generally, if I go someplace new, I don't just free roam my rides. Usually I do kind of search on Strava or search on Ride with GPS load a known set of routes that are going to get me back to the hotel or the house that I'm staying at. So I'm not, again, I'm not sure if that's well, you, uh, killer. you also need to remember to load the, the maps for the state you're going to be in. Apparently at, at least on why maybe the Rome's already do all of the U S maybe it's the bolt that is so aerodynamically small and efficient to be a pro tour rider. You don't need the, the route, uh, for the ride, but I mean, overall, I can't fault the device. It's it's a pretty nice device, and I would say if you could snag one for some of the prices that Wahoo is selling things for, I think the newest, well, the older Rome, right? The V1 Rome, I think is going for 199 right now on the market. If it's got 90% of what's on my Bolt V2, and you are somebody out there that's on the fence about buying a GPS, I don't think you can fault that price because I don't think there's anything I would recommend from Garmin, let's say, in that price range, right? Even if you looked at an older refurb 530. Um, I think they're still selling for more than that in the market. Yeah. And if you can get a new walk I mean, warranty, I think you're probably okay. I, I would say that if you're on a bike and you're not, and you don't have a GPS computer, it does open up a lot of things for you. So if you're out here, if you're a chump out there listening that you're just sort of like riding your bike around, it does give you a lot of opportunities to, you know, give you good information on your ride. Having a map is very useful and being able to, record some data will help you if you really do want to start getting into any kind of training and understanding your your fitness or your abilities on the bike so i think a lot of that is good if it's something you're you know if you're just getting started in cycling and you just and you think oh i don't really need that it is something useful to have for sure now i guess i would say that mike would uh might want to tell us that that all sounds well and good you just got to hope that the the device continues to work for you right yeah, yeah. So, you know, what, four or five years, well, probably three or four years ago, Eric and I were out riding and I had a Wahoo Element Bolt. And I was relatively happy with it. Um, and I guess I'll tell you that the, my positive things, and I'll keep it short, love the um, the app interface for your phone to add and move around the fields. Uh, the, split, the display is fantastic. Um, I like the, the visual indicators for when you have your rate uh your varia radar hooked up and i think it was louder than garmin's for when uh, you hear a, a car approach from behind i would agree with um, that i do love the leds for the varia lights i'm yeah. glad that garmin did open up that protocol so it works kind of with everybody it's pretty nice on the wahoo so i agree um, with that. the button placement to me is way better i really love the button placement um but <clears throat> So ultimately, I had luck with all that stuff. But when Eric and I were out riding, and I, I think I paused it. And when we went to start riding again during the COVID era, I hit start, and the the, the device just bricked. Uh, the screen froze up. I couldn't reboot it or change anything. And ultimately, it, it revealed two things to me. Number one is, uh, when I started looking into this, it looks like a, a relatively I'll say not uncommon. So I don't want to say common, but it's not uncommon. And people had their device. Sometimes it would happen within days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months. Mine, it took three years. And for one or two of those years, it wasn't even used that much. Uh, and it never saw adverse conditions outside like rain or any other, you know, mud or anything. Uh, but when I contacted Wahoo, you know, they didn't do me any favors. They said, you send us your, our, your old device or you show us that you stick a screwdriver in it, then we will give you 25% off of a new one. Well, at the time, Garmin was offering better deals on theirs, and I didn't even have to show a device being broken. And not only that is, it seems like when your device from Garmin is even outside of the warranty period, Garmin really takes care of you compared to Wahoo. So 
that's why I'm I'm almost kind of boycotting Wahoo because of all that stuff. <laughs> but in the end, I I thought the Bolt was great and I really liked using it. So, um, you know, I guess we'll I know uh, Ryan has had luck with it, so has KB, and and if Chad has luck with it, you know, in the future maybe I'll reconsider it. Yeah. Was yours a V1 or a V2, Mike? Do you I know? purchased it in 2016. So well, was, right the, was it probably was a it one. a blue colored screen or did it have multiple colors? I can't remember, but it was probably when yeah, it was just actually, launched that because that could be no, no, it was still the grayscale screen because they at the time that thing broke, they didn't even have the multicolor screen yet, Mike. Because I so I just looked. I've had mine for officially two years now, and I've put that thing through some inclement weather and i mean knock on wood it's done now great. i believe i love i i, I can't say ahead. garmin's faultless because eric you and i have both had replacement 530s kind of oh yeah kind of through a warranty period. my altimeter it died on my my 530 the altimeter died um but garmin was um i i can't recall what the warranty was i'd use that thing for a bunch and they just said mm-hmm. send it back and they sent me another one so kudos to Garmin, I'm on my well, second 530, and I still love the 530, to be honest with you. I'm actually on my third, because my altimeter stopped working after years, and then they sent me a new one, and then my, I was out on a ride, and mine bricked, similar to what Mike is saying, and I contacted them, and within 45 minutes of going back and forth on email and in those online chats, they had a new one coming to me, so... Yeah, they uh, Garmin does take care of you in the, in that way. I will say, like I said, if you're if you're out there riding without a computer, I would definitely recommend looking into getting one. If for nothing else, then like Mike and uh, Chad were just talking about having that Varia radar. That is a must for anyone that's out on a bike having that Varia radar. Or I think there's a competitor radar right now that does something similar which I forget, that I, don't, I don't recall the name at the moment, but having that radar, if you're going to ride any time on the road with other cars, having that radar is so valuable. And then having that the display on your head unit, it's, you know, it, it's worth its price in gold, to be honest. I would pay much more for that radar if I had to, just how, how valuable that is. But it does open things up for you. I will say the Garmin is such a pain to set up a new Garmin computer when you get one. It is unbelievably stupid how ridiculous they've made the setup for these things. And once you have it set up, it's great. Once, you, once you're once you set up, it's good. But it's like you, you need to like schedule time in your calendar and say, all right, I'm going to set this damn computer up when you get a new one. And you really have to invest. Like it's not going to, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get my new one and go ride today. Nope. Nope. You're going to spend hours setting that damn thing up before you go ride. You know, you only do that once when you get a new computer. But the the stupid thing with them is they just came out with the 540, 840, 1040. What was it, a few months ago? Yeah. And everybody has been complaining about this Garmin setup since like 1987. And they just released the new computers. Same stupid long setup. So that's pretty unfortunate for Garmin that, that they... They do take care of you after the fact, but up front, they don't seem to have the user in mind. So anyway, the point is, like Chad said, you've used both of them. They both probably do what you need them to do. Um, Garmin might have a little bit more features on the watch side from a total connectivity point, but also they don't insult you as much. So that's nice. Yep, It's nice that Wahoo's nicer to you as a computer. You know, the real bummer, though, with the Wahoo Bolt V2 is I don't have a gravel mode. Which my 530. Oh man! I I don't know. I don't even know if I could use my Bolt V2 on my gravel bike, right? If I can't select my gravel mode that my Garmin has, I mean, is that possible? The the other thing I want to know, Chad and 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 Ryan, is does the Garmin? I mean, I haven't had a Wahoo, so does the Wahoo tell you that you're four percent heat acclimated? I mean, that's critical information. If I don't have that information in my back pocket, how am I supposed to perform? On my bicycle, if I'm not keeping track that I'm 7% acclimated to the heat. You know, the, the problem is I don't really know if I'm done with my ride always on a Wahoo because I've got like seven <laughs> insult screens that my Garmin gives me that lets me know, oh, the ride's over. I'm being insulted by my head. Yeah. And that's, that's not a question with the Wahoo. It's just like, your ride's over. I guess you're done, right? <laughs> you upload the ride. I mean, so that's shocking. And it is pretty, I would, 
you're right. It is pretty easy to set up. There's like a, you turn it on out of the box and there's a QR code. You use the camera off your smartphone, mm -hmm. picture of it, basically sets it up in the app and you're ready to ride later on in the night. You can kind of move the screens around, as Mike said. To be fair, how much does it really take to move around the four screens that the Wahoo element has? So there does sort of feel like Wahoo's like in its infancy. Like, you know, the Garmin is complicated to set up, but then again, it's like you can truly tailor the Garmin. It's got many more layers to kind of go into if that's what you want to use. There's no alerts. Well, I haven't found them yet on the Wahoo to tell you like it's time to eat, it's time to drink. You could program that all into your Garmin 530. I don't think those are there the again there's if you use other widgets for weather notifications or something when you're out on a ride you're i don't think that that's there yet for wahoo it the wahoo well, is really good also yeah what's I your mean, bike doing? again again now that you're saying that i mean you guys know in our neck of the woods how are we gonna ever get around on our bikes without our computer telling us there's a wind advisory you know because wind catches us off guard out here in chicago right i mean we need to know these things <laughs> I think a co I, I would hope that since Wahoo recently, you know, went through some troubles and got bought back whenever, I, I hope that they've maybe learned their lesson and their service is better moving forward. I personally am a huge fan of, to Chad's point, I do not think you have to be connected to Wi-Fi because I've gone on a couple trips and taken my bike in other states. And I think as long as your cell phone has service, you can still, there's a way you can sync. Um, so as long as you you know, like on the ride, you can do whatever you need to do. Um, I do love the ease of changing the screens and the information on the screens and the ease of loading routes is just like, so, so simple. I, I don't really notice a difference because after Eric had showed me, you can do the pin star with ride with GPS or from Strava. And then it goes to the Garmin connect app. I actually think my Garmin actually uploads a map now, maybe faster than loading the route off of the element app. I mean, it's, no, it's not that big a difference. They're both yeah. about I mean, I the same. I had a Garmin before, and I mean, I don't know. Maybe that was a functionality that I didn't know about at the time. But, or um, user error. It, yeah, um, but it was like you had to download the route, plug in your, you know, through USB to your, your laptop or your desktop, and, like, that's how you had to get the route. Yeah, you definitely don't have to do that anymore. It's pretty simple these days. Yeah. But Well, good. I mean, there's pros and cons to each one. I think the point is, from a chump's perspective, is that I think the the most valuable point of this for the chumps out there that are interested in, in getting on to, you know, maybe stepping up to having a head unit, stepping up to having a computer, is that the Wahoo is just fine. And what Chad was just mentioning was, seems like at the moment anyway, you can get a pretty good deal on it. And it's not, it's not one of these things where if it is the cheaper one, it's not so inferior. It's not inferior at all, even. And if you can get it for a good deal, then I would pull the trigger, right? Yeah. That's what you're saying. And I've had, and, and to be honest, I've had quite a few warranty claims with my kicker device, but Wahoo has made me whole every time. So I can't say that from my experience, the Wahoo customer service on a warranty side has been any different than Garmin. So I've had issues with both, and both have worked out well for me. I would it's good. They just don't like you, Mike. Uh, they took care of me with my kicker. They uh, okay. So for the trainers, they're good. Okay. They completely hosed me on that freaking bolt. <laughs> Screw you, Wahoo. <laughs> um. So when I started to get like, so I used to run a lot, and I had a Garmin Phoenix watch, and I started cycling as cross training. And for the longest time, I just used my Phoenix on the bike because I also I did primarily mountain biking. And, I, you know, you're not looking at your head unit that much on. Um, but when I met all of you guys and I started getting really into road riding at first, I was just using my Phoenix because it's like whatever, like uh, why I'm going to spend another couple hundred bucks. So I will say if you're currently doing that, getting an actual designated cycling head unit yeah. is much, much, much is better. Is Casey listening? <laughs> Well, she has one it's, now. All right, good. It, the only other thing, well, it, the benefit of having the watch and the head unit too, Ryan, is of course you could double your miles in Strava if you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Let's not talk yeah. about that. Did we have somebody triple logging <laughs> yeah. recently? I had that, a triple a log point. earlier after dinner. I, I guess the, the big question <laughs> for us chumps, Chad, is 
you need to take both devices on a ride sometime and figure out which one gives you a better time on the segment in Strava. That's critical information. I haven't seen DC Rainmaker or GP Llama or any of those guys talk about which one is going to help you get the KOM. Is it the Wahoo or the the Garmin gives you a more favorable time? So we'll be waiting to hear the update on that, Chad. Which yeah, one, you know, that's a legit concern. For that reason. That's, a, that's a real concern, Eric, because I can't remember it is. if it was... I was next to Ryan the one time, or I don't know, it was Ryan or somebody else. And I think me. we started the segment together, and then we finished with myself ahead, and we got home, and it's, it said he was one or two seconds faster. And I was like, see? Yeah. But see? My, my real thing that I wanted to add before, by the way, was if you have a Garmin watch, just get the Garmin head unit. If you don't have a watch or you don't care or maybe you're considering a, a Wahoo watch, then you go full Wahoo. But I'm just thinking about being in the ecosystem and having all your activities in one location and one app on your yeah. phone. So well, you I mean, let's not encourage people to get into other sports besides cycling. We don't need to encourage triathlon, triathletism here. So, you know, I mean, if you're already a triathlete, great. But we don't need to encourage, you know, people to get into that. You know what I mean? That stuff is bad well, for your yeah, knees. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think my takeaway is if you don't have a cycling specific head unit, and you're like spending time researching these things and you haven't familiarized with either ecosystem, just stop and buy the one you find on sale. I think you're going to be fine. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. At the end of the day. Awesome. So you want me to do the factoid this week, Mike? Yeah, please bring it. Let's hear it. All right. So you ready for this one, Mike? This is a little bit of an involved one. It's going to take a minute or so to set the whole thing up. But not a lot of people know this. But from the 1300s to about the 1800s. So if you're talking about, you know, a 500 year period. Barbers were the people that provide dental services to, to people in, the, in that, you know, in, at least in Europe in those Middle Ages. So if you needed to get dental work done, you went to the barber shop, okay? So this is real. I'm not making this up. So um, they were. They also did some s small surgery. So it was like barber surgeons or barber dentists, right? You, you've heard of this, Ryan? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Bloodletting. This is a yeah, real they thing. Actually, they teach you about this in nursing right. school. Right. So, so barbers would do dentistry, right? So... That, w that went on for hundreds of years. If you needed dentistry, you went to a barbershop, basically, right? And that's why barbershops have those spinny things, because it has something to do with, like, blood and veins and shit. I don't really know. But anyway, it has to do with the fact that they did more than, bar than cutting your hair, right? But then, you know, obviously you don't go to the dentist to get... I mean, the barbershop to get your dental work done these days, right? So it was... So I'm going to read this from this, this website. Modern dental equipment began to be introduced in the 1800s about the time when dentistry became a profession and dental schools began began to open. So a lot of the um, early developments in dentistry happened in the early to mid 1800s that led to, you know, what we're what we're accustomed to now when we go get our get our teeth fixed, right? So, you know, obviously something happened where they were 500 years that, you know, barbers were doing dental work and then something happened where Basically, dentists had to step up, improve their skills, and consequently, by providing much better dental services, they were able to charge more and make more money, right? So something obviously happened. So what I want to also tell you, another fact that goes together with that to make the factoid is that the dandy horse, which was the first human means of transport to use only two wheels in tandem, was invented... Do you guys know this? By the German Baron Karl von Dreis is regarded as the first bicycle. Von Dreis introduced it to the public in Mannheim in 1817. So, a lot of people don't know this, but when this guy invented it, introduced the first bicycle, he really kickstarted the modern dental movement. A lot of people don't know that. So it was it was all these barbers or that were were buying up all these dandy horses. No, they couldn't <laughs> afford them. That's the thing. Once these bicycles started coming out, the dentists had to like break off on their own and 
modernized dentistry so they could charge more gotcha. so they can make enough money to buy the bicycles. You see? Yeah, uh, yeah. Now I get it. There you go. <laughs> now you're following along. So And his name his name was something something Pinarello. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's German for S works. I think that's what it translates to. Carl Baron Carl von Dreis, S works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty close, I think. I think it's a close translation. Is that the new oh, one? Of my well, I saw one. For any, for any <laughs> yeah. history nerds out there, the barber pole, the white is uh, symbolic of the bandages, the red obviously blood, blue obviously veins, and the brass at the bottom is symbolic of where they used to store the leeches for bloodletting. Oh, see, there you go. And that's yeah. There you go, and that wasn't that wasn't helping them buy bikes. So once the bicycle was invented, man, <laughs> they had to break off. You couldn't be, they couldn't just be having to, get, you know, they weren't buying bikes off the tips at the barbershop, man. They had to step it up. So, you know, people don't realize that the modern bicycle and modern dentistry have that connection, right? I can't wait for Pinarello to drop the uh, V2 dandy horse. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it'd be a, it's, it'd be a donkey. It's Italian. It's kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a dandy donkey. We can do a whole segment on the word dandy horse, by the way, because uh, it's a <laughs> okay. it's a derogatory term for the for what was first called the the Lauf machine. <laughs> wow, is that a bike as well? Oh my heavens! This factoid is going Wow, it's all connected. You didn't know this. My tinfoil hat is tingling. The Lauf machine was a bicycle that was made of. Uh, I can't even remember what Leaf Springs. Leaf Springs, motherfucker. Was it was it designed for the early gravel roads of Europe? Yeah. <laughs> and that was before vowels were introduced. What? Oh. Yeah. All right. We're going downhill this now. Is going downhill. Quick. All right. Yeah. I think it's time we end this. Good night, everybody. All right. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, hold on. I gotta to tell off. people. Please. Go on your podcast service of that you're listening to and give us a rating and a review. Five stars only, of course, because I know if you made it this far, you must really enjoy what we're doing. So please <laughs> go ahead and give us a rating and review. And more importantly, tell your friends and family to listen to the Velo Chumps. We got some more exciting episodes coming. We're hoping to have some special guests and hopefully we can have some live coverage of some races coming up we got some big time races coming into chicago land in a week or two here so keep an ear out for that and uh hopefully you uh get to enjoy some uh special episodes coming up coming up yeah maybe some uh some leadville stage race stuff too man yeah absolutely we got all kinds of all kinds of cool episodes coming up we got leadville coming up we're gonna definitely hear uh, from these guys and their experience and all kinds of stuff so Stay tuned Ethan in, had... tell your friends, tell your family, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Mike, did you put in a pick for tomorrow? Not yet. I'm getting on it. I, I'm gonna, <laughs> he's he's going to let the computer I'm gonna, decide. I'm going to go interrogate Emma. What did Randy tell you today? Have you even been listening to what I've been saying? I've been talking to you for the last 10 minutes.